Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. This episode, I'm speaking with Andy McIntyre and Mitch Keane. They are the two bartenders and owners behind WA drinks brand Idle Hands Drinks Co. And I'm talking to them because they've managed to turn a pandemic-era side hustle into something that's a bit more of a going concern. With some big plans for a brand home, a recently launched range of 750ml bottled cocktails, and plans for expanding out of WA and into the eastern states. I've known Andy and Mitch, or Macron Rummy as they're often better known, uh, since my first travels to Perth around a decade ago now. And so I had fun talking to them. We talk about how they are taking what was a batched and kegged cocktail solution to some big festivals in Perth and adding a consumer element to it. They talk about some of the challenges they've encountered, what they need to do to grow, and what they need to do to get a quality drink to the people. It's an interesting and illuminating chat. So now, here's my chat with Andy McIntyre and Mitch Keane. Andy and Mitch, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Great to be here. Lovely to see you both. You guys are the, the founders, the, the two people behind Idle Hands Drinks Co. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit about, you know, what that is, uh, why you sort of brought it on and everything. But can you tell us a little bit how you got into the bar world and, and the drinks world to start with? Yeah. Um, oh, and, and sorry, before I go on, I should probably say to anyone listening, I will maybe refer to you, Mitch, as Rummy at times and Andy <laughs> as Macker at times just because we've known each other a while. Yeah. <laughs> and those yeah. are your nicknames. But yeah, but yeah Mitch, yeah. Mitch how, how'd you get into the business? Um, well, like like anybody, I guess. Um, got out of high school, had a, a general idea of what I wanted to do, um, which included I was uh, living in Geelong uh, at the time. So I moved up to Melbourne with big aspirations to like study film and, and get into the world of film. And the only job I could work while uh, studying was <laughs> in a bar. So started yeah. off uh, as a bussy at a, uh, an old nightclub. Um, and from there, I just never left, really. I've been, been in the game, ended up in Europe making drinks for a while and then settled in Perth about... 11 years ago and you know the the industry here at that time was you know just taken off and exploding and it, yeah it grabbed me completely so and what about you maka um mine you're, was something of, you're something of a veteran of the perth bartending scene i think it's thank fair. you <laughs> thank you for that i've got the <laughs> definitely showing now from it i think as well um yeah a little bit less globe trotty than rummy i think i've been i've been based in perth basically my whole hospitality career and it really started off uh not so much accidentally, but finding a job while I was at uni at the same time. And uh, I was studying commerce at the time and had grand plans of getting into finance. And then much to mum and dad's dismay, uh, I fell in love with hospitality. Uh, and I think it fitted a lot of my, uh, my, my traits and a lot of my likes, which is generally socializing with people. Um, I have a love of food and drink. Like I absolutely love it. That probably definitely contributes to some of my physique uh but um it was it was really i guess was padding around for a while and and changed degree and while i had a great number of jobs doing some nightclub work and glassing and working in some restaurants i sort of found my vocation when i started working at lux bar back in the early 2000s and um, which for anyone that sort of knows it at the time, there was this melting pot of amazing humans that I got to work with from Jared Plummer to Gary Beadle to Jeff Hayward, who owned the venue, to Sam Asprey, to Andy Freeman, to Aaron Springwillard, uh, Georgia McDonnell Adams. So mm. with just a few of the names of guys that came through that venue. Uh, and so I was lucky enough to be their glassy at the time and they took me under their wing. Um, <laughs> and that's where I really learned 
all the foundations about not only making delicious drinks, but looking after human beings and hospitality. And it, it gave me a lot of the core values that I have now for, for Hospa. It was, it was a pretty yeah. amazing time. So Yeah, just on that, like Luxpa, for people who don't know it, like it was like there were good drinks there, but it was also a heaving kind of bar. It was really kind of crucial in the, in the Perth bar scene that we have today, right? It's like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it was um, some Sunday nights there were pretty loose uh, and things got a bit spicy, but I mean, with three bartenders serving 150 people cocktails, like it was, you learn how to work, like, and you learn how to make drinks. Uh, and the standards were high. Like we were, we were bar team. Well, before I started, bar team of the year and bar of the year. Um, so I felt that pressure and and definitely had to step up. Did, to they, the plate. did they ever get to those heights again once you started? Uh, <laughs> uh, I kid, uh, I kid. I guess so. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't get any awards, but there was highlights. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and Mitch, you've been a distiller as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, when, when I got to Perth. How'd you, how'd you like, get into that part of the, of the world? Well, that was, uh, again, through hospitality. So I was working, uh, working mechanics with the, the team there, uh, having a grand old time, and was lucky enough to meet uh, the infamous Jez Spencer. Um, <laughs> through through the through the over the stick there, and yeah. obviously we got along. This is, this is Jeremy Spencer, who, who uh, you know was one of the founders of the West Winds Gin. One of the, one of the, the yeah. founders, uh, an incredible personality, um, and and we got to talking as as you do over a couple of drinks, and um, yeah, I, I was looking to to sort of get out of late night hours. I, I wanted something during the day, and it started off as you know part time brand ambassador, so standing in shops. And, pouring tasters for people and, and spreading the good word of Aussie gin. Uh, and then a little over time, basically an opportunity uh, opened up uh, to step into production there. And after, God, I don't know how many years, I ended up sort of as a head distiller there and making gin. And, I mean, yeah, I, I'm very, I don't know, I like uh, like working with tools and getting hands-on. So getting getting in there and, and making gin was uh, was. It was great fun. I really I just have it. to say for anyone listening who, you know, Mac had just rolled his eyes when he said, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, Rummy the, so, the tinker. <laughs> um, and so how, how did Idle Hands begin? What, what's the, where did the, the germ of this idea begin? How did it start? Uh, um, it was, oh, before uh, we do that, before we do that, tell us, tell yeah. us like the elevator pitch. What, what, what are you guys doing now? What is it? Um, I guess, we make flavor first cocktails that make a bartender and a venue's life easier. So um, it was really one of those things and we'll get to the story of how we started, but when Rummy and I sat down, the core value of our business and the core pillar we always fall back on is, is flavor first. Um, so if the drinks aren't comparable to what a bartender can make, we don't feel like we're adding value to the industry. Um, so that's really it is, is, and it needs to be there to solve a problem. And these have been in, in kegs into venues and at festivals and stuff, but you've also got a, a bottled range now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we do. Um, and the bottle range we launched on the 1st of May, but um, when, when we started, retail wasn't even, even a consideration. Like we, we sat down, we both, uh, we both had full-time jobs doing other things in, in the, the booze world and there was, 
sort of this gap after after COVID. And, you know, uh, a festival reached out to, to Mac here to, to talk about training bartenders to, to make cocktails. Um, obviously, I think it was about a 3,000-person festival. Yeah, yeah. So and, it is, right. And, um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the amount of experience, uh, you know, bartenders that left the industry after COVID or during COVID, um, you know, the idea of training 20 bartenders to make, <laughs> make cocktails for 3,000 people just didn't really seem feasible. No. Um, so we went to, to the next next thing, which was, well, why don't we keg the cocktails up? Yeah, and you and I had sort of been patting around with it a little bit independently, um, and that was why when I got a call from uh, a good friend of mine, Jesse Wilson and, and Tim Capon, who run events in Perth uh, mm-hmm. with this problem, uh, I called Rummy because I knew he was the only one outside of me doing it and also had the technical skills to be able to, I guess, bring this to life. And we put the business together in, I think it was like <laughs> three days or three or four days. <laughs> um, uh, so it was yeah. pretty, it was pretty quick. Uh, and we, we definitely set it up on the smell of an oil, oil rag. <laughs> um, I think there was some equipment that Rummy had, had yeah, kicking around yeah. in his uh, in his garage and I had a bit of cash and you had a bit of cash and we were like, yeah, we can make this work. Yeah. Um, and so I guess getting back to your original question, it really, retail wasn't there for us as a, as a goal. We really just wanted to solve that problem for festivals to start off with. And, mm. and really that's where it started. Like we didn't want to do, well, we hadn't, planned for anything bigger than that at that stage yeah. and everything grew organically um venues started calling after that asking for uh keg cocktails for their venues um because everyone was facing the same pressures so it was a combination of staffing pressures which anyone in the industry during that time from 2020 through to probably even now um are facing a real skill shortage yeah. um and then also we're now coupled with the fact that a lot of those venues are looking for ways to improve some efficiencies in their business like with you know rising costs of goods rising costs of wages Mm. something has to give um i think the consumer at the end of the day has an expectation of what they want to pay for a drink as well um so there was just a number of those pinch points that that allowed us to keep growing and we took the lead and then from there people kept asking us when are we going to put drinks in bottles so they can take them home um and, and, and so it wasn't intentional like it was it was oh okay. so you, what you're saying is you didn't start out with some grand master plan here absolutely oh, yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean we'd love to say we did but it yeah. absolutely didn't happen like that well look when, when when you're making billions of dollars that's when you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean i think uh yeah that would be nice mm. so that would be nice definitely yeah well, but we'll get there like it, when when yeah when we we did the the festivals we did the first it was the first festival season back after the lockdown so right. you know consumers really had a load of energy they wanted to get out of the house obviously um, this was Perth as well this is which Perth so I think for context small for everyone else well we just didn't we were very lucky with the fact that um, we we got a lot of hospitality venues got to operate as usual. Um, yeah. They were allowed to trade. There were restrictions in place, but you could still go out and get a drink. But the problems they had is there was this absolute thirst for hospitality and we we didn't have any staff, like any hospitality yeah. operator in Perth. You know, there's stories coming out of the Northwest where restaurants had to operate at 50% because they couldn't staff them. Like, yeah, so the demand was there. We just didn't, the, as an industry, have the ability to service them. So. Yeah, just because for a refresher for people, WA was, you know, the 
the uh, People's Republic of Mark Gowanistan and, and <laughs> locked everyone out, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. That's, and that's what it's what kept you guys going, though. Yeah. Oh man, he. Yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely it it created quite a weird, heady environment, and and for what I was I was working with another business at the time, and had a lot of contact with people on the east coast, and I'd come mm. off some video calls and feel guilty because <laughs> we would have the ability to do things, and they were you know especially in in Vic, like had a um, real struggle with brutal. like quite extended lockdowns. So um, yeah. it was it was a pretty weird time, like, which everyone knows, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So. But, yeah, so after... Yeah, after let's not talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Dark, yeah. Darkness, get away from oh, Get away from it. depressed. <laughs> <laughs> My PTSD is ticking. <laughs> so, yeah, after after the, the festival season, um, you know, the, these festival the, the cocktail, keg cocktails really helped out, right? And yeah. Really, you know, how, how many kegs were you supplying to these things? So 3,000-person festival? Uh, I mean, the first one, I think the first one, it was like five or 6,000 drinks. I remember right. we didn't have enough corny kegs, so we actually <laughs> we batched extra in buckets and were like pouring them in and like shake carving them during the festival to keep it, <laughs> keep the drinks flowing. And yeah. it, it was, yeah. I don't know. We, we the bought- adoption, the <laughs> adoption was a lot more than what we thought. Yeah. Uh, so, and 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 that gave us a lot of confidence, I guess. Um, and it really put us through our paces in terms of staying dynamic and making sure we could grow. Like staying uh, dynamic is a nice way of putting that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we were very dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was definitely some phone calls I got on a Friday going, "We've sold out." I need some more in the next hour. And I was like, wow. oh, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, and we just had to make it happen. So, so, so yeah, we, we, we were focusing on that and getting kegs in the venues. And, and that's when people started asking for, for bottled product. And yeah. this was, you know, would have been six months into, into Idol. And I think we were, we were basically saying never going to happen, not going to be a thing. We don't see it going in that direction because it was yeah. still very much a, a part-time idea yeah um, and that's and, a that's a completely different business right into retail yeah. as opposed to trade stuff yeah and and at this time you know we were working with with suppliers and using their spirit um to to make, basically make the cocktail mm. so we, we were happy in this little little world of just part-timing mm. it but um it just kept growing um and kept getting busier and busier and there an opportunity sort of came up where you know we could make a real go at this and, and give it a shot. And we just sort of took the plunge. What was that opportunity? Um, basically, uh, we just, well, uh, we were working with um, some guys to help open a venue. Um, there was enough work around that would sustain a full-time job. So rather than being spread across a full-time job and all these part-time things, we right. just focused on 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 idle a bit. So I think it's like any time with when you there's a lot of guys that we've seen in the industry like start up their own brands and it always starts as a bit of a side hustle and yeah um, you know like uh, Ruby and what Evan and Tim were doing with that this springs to mind and now looking at the success of where those guys are at um at mm. some stage you just have to bite the bullet and go like if you believe yeah. in the idea. Um, so, and, and what was it about the idea that you did believe in that you were like, yeah, we can make a go of this? I think it was just com- 
like the confidence we got from doing <laughs> yeah. each event and people and and how well the drinks were received so yeah. people bought them and and on, on an ongoing basis they kept buying more and more and i think probably the festival that really ticked it over was actually a beer festival oh, yeah, here called yeah, Froth Town, um, which is run by a company <laughs> called Bar Pop. And we were one of 65 on stalls and we were the only cocktail guys there. Um, and we sold, I think it was like one in six drink, one in 10 drinks or something like that at the festival. Yeah. Um, wow. And it just I think that took was, us both by surprise, and we were because like, "Because people make shit beer with too much fucking hops." In it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's some. Yeah. I mean, I, I I put it down to you know you can smash a couple of pints, but at the end of the day, you're yeah. just craving hash of vanilla martini. Really, like, <laughs> so, I think that's what we all want deep down. Yeah, deep hearts. down inside. What's uh, you saying about porn star martinis? So, ah, there's two, two types the of world. two types of people in the world: um, those that like espresso martini, oh, those that like porn star martinis, and those mm. that are lying. Uh, are lying, are lying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's well, it's just we'll have drink. to spruce that up in the edit. That quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. At, at this festival, that was it was like a light switch moment. Like mm. I remember standing next to Mac and we were having a drink. Like just looking at bar get thrashed, um, we probably should have jumped in. But um, <laughs> I was lifting kegs. <laughs> but I remember, I remember just being like, "Holy shit! Like this, this actually may be a thing." Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's that weird moment of like deciding to give give a hundred percent, give your all to something, right? Like, yeah. And coming out of working you know, working, having the opportunity to work with a heap of different brands. We, we've worked for other people and, and they've always been established brands that you step into. And, you know, I, I never really experienced what that moment was like from going from like a stupid idea to, you know, oh, now we're in business with an ABN. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, it was just this, yeah, light switch moment. And from then on, we made the decision just to give it a red hot go. So. And have you been able to sleep well at night since then? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you, where, where did the name come from, Idle Hands? Because I love the name. Um, <laughs> so I guess Rummy, Rummy and I, for anyone that knows us, uh, generally need to be busy. So that way we're less of a menace to ourselves and everyone around us. It's so um, yeah. I guess Idle Hands came from the saying, uh, Idle Hands, the devil's playground. Um, yeah. Uh, so much so that our PTY LTD is called the devil's work. Um, <laughs> so good. it really came from that need for us as starting a side hustle and, and taking our idle hands and doing something creative and constructive with it. Mm. Um, and that was that was really it. We were sitting at Mary Street Bakery yeah. um, <laughs> brainstorming names and we said it and we were like, that's actually it. That, <laughs> we love it. That's great. Um, how do you think about plans for sort of expanding this? So like, what are the goals that you've got in mind? Where do you want, where do you want to take the business? I think, um, I think with any business, like measured growth is is important. Um, and Idle Hands isn't like, I guess, a fledgling business. We've been around for two and a half years now, um, yeah. and we've taken our time to develop products, uh, get it right, work through some R and D. Um, so now it's really going to market at the right pace. So that's where having we had kegs in, in place. Um, and an example of that is when we launched in retail, as Rummy said, at the start of May, um, we brought on uh, an awesome young bloke, Jake Silvestri, who'd been working with Pirate Life and had was really in touch with retailers in WA. 
Mm. Um, and we we identified 35 retailers we wanted to work with, but these were the guys that would take products, they would work with us to do tastings on a regular basis, really familiarize their customers with the product as well. Um, Because it is a fairly new product in some ways, like in terms of a drinking experience for for retail customers. How how Um, do you mean? Like they're they're not used to? I guess there have been other bottle cocktails, which are all quite booze forward previously um we've launched something and we're not the first to do it but we're we're at the front of that industry like at at the front of that style of product um having a 750 mil sparkling bottle with fresh fruit cocktail forward juicy cocktails in it um there's not a lot of people that have done that quite yet um so there was a lot of care that was needed in explaining products um and that was really part of the growth so i can uh, consumers idea of you know a ready-to-drink cocktail has always been something that's in a tin, you know, and that that is is changing that mindset of like, well, no, you know, for us, it's it's about flavor first. It's about making drinks the way we would make a drink behind the bar, and then and then scaling it up. So like, mm. we're not we're not using preservatives. Um, we're we're using juice and syrups and, and spirit and yeah. like just, just making the, the the best drinks the best way we know how. Um, yeah. And what what are the challenges that come with that? Because uh, I mean, I guess there's like yeah. shelf life and that sort of thing, and stability <laughs> yeah. in the bottle. You don't want things exploding. How how have you gone yeah. and addressed that? So I guess it comes back to <laughs> for listeners. Rummy is just shaking his oh, head right man. now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> was, brother has to make it. Yeah. I'm the one it that was, has it to sell it. It was so. really yeah. straightforward. There were no issues. Um, <laughs> it cut. tapped on the flavor first thing, like, and I think when I started bartending and Rummy was a little bit after that because he's not ancient. Um, <laughs> um, one of the, there was a big shift in the, in the cocktail realm at the time where we, you know, it was led by Dale DeGroff and Gary Regan and those guys where we were moving away from sour mix and preservatives and, you know, blue, green and red drinks to using fresh mm. juice. So for us, that was, I guess, one of the non-negotiables when we started was, uh, starting with that, which obviously has its challenges in terms of shelf life, in terms of getting carbonation in the drinks as well, um, and then moving forward from there to build shelf life out, which we're using a combination of CO2, sugar levels, alcohol, which are all natural preservatives yeah. to make sure that we get a, a realistic shelf life that um, that retailers especially can work with. And I think there was some really good examples in market of Craft Beer has already established cold chain logistics, so which is super important for us. Okay. Um, so in making sure it's everything's retained fresh. And you know, I remember doing a session with Brendan Barris, who was the founder of Farrell, Farrell Brewing over here and a legend of the brewing industry. And he showed me hop hog, which had been treated cold, and then hop hog, which he'd put in front of a like an extraction fan from a fridge for seven days, and he cooked it. And just looking at the difference in flavor and Right. You know, what happens to drinks when you don't look after them well through through your supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a major factor for us in terms of getting the drinks to venues. Um, right. how, um, how, how are you getting the drinks to venues? Are you distributing yourself? Or are you going through a supplier in Perth? Um, yeah, we, we partner with uh, a company called Refresh here. Um, so they, they deliver juice to venues at the moment. So they have a cold chain logistics arm as well. Yeah, um, right. When we're looking at expansion, there's an awesome company over here called Growler Depot. Um, it's run by a mate of mine, Tim Greeny. Um, he's really at the forefront of, 
of cold chain logistics and doing some really great stuff for craft brewers over here. So there's a lot of learning from from working with those guys and and benefits for us as well. So yeah. So do you want to take this like you know nationwide at some point, or what's what's the plan? Yep. Yep. I mean, in for a penny, in for <laughs> yep. a pound, right? Like, <laughs> just just we we want to want to get the the product right, which has always been step one for us, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the business is two and a half years old now, I believe. Yeah, two yep. and a half. Um, and and we're focusing on that time with a load of R and D and 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 getting kegs and our bottles right. So we're happy with the product. Um, plan is well. Next step is definitely to to sort of head east and um. And, and is that just on the on the bottled stuff or with like the kegged offering as well? With the the keg offering as well. I mean, the the next next steps is sort of to to solidify WA. So for us, um, I guess you know we look at terms of growth. Um, a shop front is is sort of a priority for us. Um, cool. Setting up a, a home base to well a home of Idle Hand, so somewhere that. You know, people can come in and we can communicate to, directly about our philosophy for drinks and that sort of thing. Similar to a cellar door or a yeah. distillery door or a winery. Like, um, yeah. you know, a lot of if you're communicating about your product, there's no better people to do it than your own. Yeah. Um, and that also provides a bit of a learning hub for us to invite bartenders from around WA in. Um, and that sort of stems into that idea of we want it to be inclusive with bartenders. This isn't something it can be perceived as something that maybe replaces a bartender's job, but yeah. we, we see this as something that actually helps bartenders. And I say this quite often when I speak to customers is I don't ever want to walk in and see a bank of six idle hands cocktails in a venue. I think there's still that inherent part of cocktail making, which comes down to <laughs> what's that? You say that now. <laughs> I, I honestly believe that like, having been a bartender, like I don't want yeah. You know, they still need to know how to shake, stir, balance drinks. Like they're all important. Like, yeah, I know, but everyone's got a everyone's got a, a buy price. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, you're human like the rest of us. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I take your point because you you, know, you actually want to have bartenders who are doing yeah. that kind of work. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, we, we, we've all worked behind the stick, and it's you know 9 p.m. on a Saturday, and you might have gone out the night before, and a customer says, "What do you have?" And you're like, "Whatever's easiest to make." And yeah. that is pouring a cocktail off tap. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, because <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> why not both? Yeah. Um, so I guess in terms of growth, a, a distillery door, a shop front is definitely a priority. Uh, yeah. In terms of expansion east, um, there's a couple of, I guess, there's a couple of key pillars which go along with that measured growth um, that we need to hit as a business and as a team first. Um, mm. And we the first step was to employ a broader team outside of Rummy and I just yeah. hustling away, um, which we're doing now. We've got a pretty amazing team between uh, Leah, Jess Arnott, Leah Galante, Jess Arnott, Jake Silvestri, yeah. Sian, yeah. Uh, Chamberlain, so who are all supporting us in their different roles. Um, and I guess once we have that solidified through this summer, there's definitely look at where we're going to move over east. Um and the thought is to set a production facility up on the East Coast as well. And, right, and, and that would solve some of that uh, shelf stability stuff. And well, It solves yeah. that as well. End of last year, there was some real supply chain issues with floods through South Australia. And I don't know if the rest of the country would be aware of that, but getting stuff in and out of WA was a was nightmare a and hugely expensive. <laughs> right. So I think there's 
there's supply chain stuff as well as what another thing that a lot of brewers have said is keep your supply chain short. So I don't think there's right. anything wrong with with having a bi coastal approach to to the expansion. Um, yeah. but it's, yeah, not it's, the, definitely- it's not the it's not the the WA drinking tap water that makes it beautiful, and you need to be by a running stream or something. <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> if that's how are. The tap water, um, but there's more chlorine than most pools in our tap water. Okay. It's pretty rubbish, mate. So I just came back from Tassie. That's drinking water. Well, that's yeah. yeah. Oh, it yeah. can't be worse than Adelaide's water, mate. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the sign of a good cocktail is you can make it any, right? Like yeah. it, it, it's about cocktails don't have that, that, that need of place, right? Mm. So, yeah, the, the brand will still be delicious and just more accessible when it's on the East Coast. And in, in terms of the like the ingredients that go into these things, are you uh, do you have deals with certain like um, spirit makers and that kind of thing, or distilleries? Or are you yeah, we're ex- producing we're exploring, your own. We're exploring all of those options at the moment. So yeah. um, there's a few irons in the fire with it. So, but really, the the brand was set up to work with spirit suppliers as well. So whether they're local um, or some of the some of the larger spirit providers. Um, but whoever we choose to work with, it really comes back to it is our name on the bottle. Um, yeah. So the drinks and the quality of the liquid has to be delicious. So that's really the governing factor we have on a lot of choices we use around around the booze. Um, some of those suppliers are happy to work with us. So in terms of putting their brand on it, some of yeah. them are, are more happy just to supply the liquid yeah. for us um and in addition we are rummy is back on the tools yeah so we, distilling we, some we started distilling products. Oh, mid last year um you know it wasn't Jeez, it feels like it started <laughs> december last year <laughs> yeah god god time what a thing yeah, man. um but yeah so we, we started distilling so we've got um lovely little gin a vodka and a cane spirit that we're, we're putting into the drinks so okay you know. and would you ever would you ever break those out into their own like Brand or? <laughs> play the uh, play the the retail game on spirits. Look, never say never. Never say never. never. Say never. Yeah, like, that's where we're going with that. I think, I think <laughs> if if we were to do it, it has to have a place. Same same as what Idle Hands is. So Idle Hands solves a problem, or it finds yeah. a gap in the market. So if there's a product that we feel passionate about, and we think that it's solving a problem, and and Adding value to has, has something to, lives, to, then, to yeah, bring. Sure. Yeah, like we'll, we'll look at releasing it, but uh, at this stage, yeah. So, so no Australian gin then. Every possible flavour has been marked. Sure, the market just needs a few more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I really want to know what we can do with lemon. Um, <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> Excellent. Um, can, yeah. Now, can people like say on the east coast? Can we? Can people order the the bottles from you guys and get them shipped over at the moment? So we are working on a mechanism for that at the moment. Um, yeah. Again, the the cold chain logistics is is the the, the, the fundamental, uh, I guess, block in that. We just want to make sure that if people are ordering from us, it is cold right up, up to the doorstep. Right, um, and we're we're hoping to have that rolling in the next month. I think. Yeah. So yeah, cool. definitely definitely by the end of August. So there'll be an ability for people on the East Coast to order bottles. So um, and we'll have them picked and packed and delivered to them. Very cool. You, you guys have both been around in bars for a long time and you probably know what makes a good bar. But what are the things in a bar that make you get the feels and have that happy 
kind of joyful like, experience. Oh, it's comfort, right? Like, I don't know. You go to different bars for different things. Like, I love love going and having a quiet pint at, like, yeah, and being left alone. That's always <laughs> a beautiful thing. Um, I imagine right now with a, with a, you know, building a business and everything, that alone time can be quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, check Guinness here and there. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it's comfort, right? Um, always, always going in, you know, having a chat, ordering a drink, getting getting beautiful service that's not overbearing and not insulting and just just enjoying it. Like the for me, hospitality has always been about that third place, right? I think it's Starbucks, the guys that set that up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just somewhere that is as comfortable to be as home. And you, Macca? Me? Um, I mean, there's so many, like, answers and quintessential answers that people give to this, right? It's like... Yeah. I just want to go in and have a Negroni with some bar nuts and then some beef tartare and blah, 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 blah. Like, but I think Rami <laughs> sort of sums it up, right? Like in the point of um, people that know me know that I love a cuddle. Um, so if I know the people in the venue, um, it feels like home straight away. So yeah. I can get a cuddle out of it. If I don't know the people, it's someone that comes up and says hello straight away uh, and makes me feel comfortable. Um, generally, like I like a solid amount of banter uh, across the bar. Um, you don't like being left alone. <laughs> I don't. No, I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I think that's why we're a bit yin and yang. Um, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Uh, and then lastly is like I guess I've, in the last few years I've got some real pride and happiness out of seeing some young bartenders in Perth like having a go like mm. and making drinks um, and showing me some stuff that they're really proud of uh, and putting a drink in front of me that they have been putting some work into and they've taken some time and effort. Uh, and that gives me some really good feels out of it. So, and I mean, I think that's why we all go into a venue is to get out of your own head and your own space for a bit and interact with other people. So yeah. complete opposite to Rummy. So <laughs> it works well. Um, <laughs> well, that's what they say, right? You got to have people that compliment each other in a business rather than, you know, doing the same shit. Yeah. And let's be honest, we don't need two Maccas. No. (laughs) (laughs) One is quite enough. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much, gents, for your time. Um, I look forward to be able to try some of the the stuff in person when I head over there in a couple of months' time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be over here soon, hey? Mm. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to having you. Thanks to Andy and Mitch again, and thank you to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, or if you didn't, please give us a rating on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify or wherever you do get yours. If you do like it, though, please give it a share with a friend. They also might like the podcast. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.